Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. Join your hosts as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things kings of war. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Louis. I'm Jeremy Duvall. And I'm Alex Coos. Today we're here with Louis Augustus to talk to him about his impressive Black Order army for Kings of War. It's a wonderfully painted army with detailed backstory. Usually we start each episode with a bit of a hobby update. So Louis, what have you been working on during the lockdown? Well, it's been a pretty long lockdown. I've been away from my paint station for the last two months. I got stuck in London, so I've not really been working on much. But I just got back home to where I live today, which is in Prague. So I'm dusting off my brushes, looking at my paints, seeing what's dried, what hasn't, and kind of taking stock of things, really. Have you had any ideas brewing over the last two months while you've been away? You bet. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been been torture, actually. I did did a big event at uh, Franticon in London in March. And you know how you know what it's like after an event. You get loads of inspiration, loads of, of new ideas, and then of course, being kind of 100 miles away from my paints and brushes, you can't do anything. <laughs> so, so it's uh, just been percolating for for a couple of months. Pretty much. Yep, it, and it's, it's all going to come out now. Jeremy, uh, what are you working on? So I've still been working on. I think I posted a couple pictures trying to round out the Basilean army project with some infantry. The theme of my army, I've talked about it in the show before, is Basilean, but it's majority female miniatures, so lots of conversions. So the idea is that they're like an order of Basilea that is fighting the abyss, and they think men are too easily swooned by the the desires of the abyss, so they've kicked them all out. For my infantry, I'm using a combination of Shield Wolf miniatures, has a female paladin line that's pretty good. So I'm using those, and I'm kitbashing them with the Mantic new spearmen, using my cyborg shields, lion shields to kind of tie them in. I have a test model for that unit pretty much finished. So now I'm putting together the rest. I think I'm going to do a horde. You know, I thought about maybe doing two regiments just for list building ease, but my Basilean army uses cathedral ruined. Yeah. And I have like one really nice wall section that would not fit on a regiment, but would fit on a horde base. So I think I'm just going to make one horde of infantry and then it will just have to be a horde and won't be able to be multi use for as regiments, which is fine because I mean, an infantry horde usually is pretty solid choice. So absolutely. I mean, rule of cool sort of thing, right? Yeah. Sometimes you just have to commit. There's just a lot more cool stuff you can do on a horde base size than you could do on two regiment size that you put together as far as trying to tell a story with the unit. So now I'm just trying to decide. This army is MMC, it's not PMC, so which is fine because since it's not Mantic models, usually I imagine that PMC would be more important for the Mantic only or the Mantic model type events. So I was looking at it, and Horde MMC is 21, 22 models. They have a PMC for a Horde is 31 or 30, and that's like 10 more miniatures. And with how slow I paint, that could be like another month. <laughs> I might just make 20-some-odd models and then blue tack them onto the multi-base just to see kind of how it looks. Yeah, and then we'll decide what we're, what we're going to do. But that's basically my goal now is finish some infantry for the Basilians, get that done. I picked up a bunch of abyssals on a 25% off sale, so I have all that. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm going to be getting a copy of the Mantic Hellboy game soon. Ooh, so nice. I'm really excited to play that. And I think that's going to be a project that Hillary and I are going to paint together. So we're going to paint all the miniatures in that in that game. So that will be a fun project. 
Mm-hmm. So I think I should be getting that on Monday and I'll be putting a bunch of pictures up of uh, the progress on that. I'm really excited to try that game. So what about you, Alex? What are you working on? So I got my test minis done for my Brotherhood of the Raven or Cult of the Raven army. That's a badass thing, so, just saying. <laughs> Basically right now, working on my Perry Foot Knights. They're going to be a mix of Foot Guard or Soul Reaver infantry, depending on which end of the timeline they're in, like before they've turned fully evil or not. I got the yellow cloth paint scheme down mostly. 10, 10 to 15 that I'm doing right now, working on some armor and cloth techniques, kind of like something that I hadn't done before with Ratkin are mainly just armor and fur. So now this is pushing me a little bit to like work on some layering, highlight, painting cloth and armor in a more detailed, clean way. So that sounds like hard work, mate. It's a lot more than I, I was like, oh, it's like a third of the miniatures of my Ratkin army. This will go quickly. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Now that I have a bit of a plan moving forward, like this has been a idea in my head for over a year or two since I picked up the first box of Perry miniatures. I'm actually like putting it rubber to the road now, which is nice and seeing some progress. Did you say you're just using Perry miniatures or are you get bashing with something else? The Knights will be all Perry and then I have the sure. old, old fourth edition skeleton army skeletons from GW. So they're a little smaller, so they scale better with the Perry. I can imagine. Yeah, nice. And then I have my Mersha Raven men and the Raven Riders. So they'll be my whites and vampires oh, yeah. on Pegasi. Yeah, sweet. That's a really good range. It's kind of a mix of ranges, but I feel like I can tie it all together, hopefully. Yeah, it sounds really cool actually pretty keen to see that thanks hopefully you're patient <laughs> gotta be in this hobby that's like the one problem right we'll probably talk about it as we uh, go sort of explore this episode about creating army theme and kit bashing miniatures or whatever that the upside is that you can come out with a really cool unique army with a lot of flavor yeah. the downside is that it takes so long yes um, for sure. because anytime you're building a model that requires kit bashing or whatever it just takes longer because th- those pieces aren't made to go together so yeah. it just inherently just adds time to the project also just working on a large project like an army having that theme as your driving force helps you keep going because it is the months for like a unit you have to have that motivation to keep going you really do yeah but if you've got that kind of strong idea you know in the beginning sort of thing that helps you keep focus i think and it sounds like you've both got quite strong ideas of the theme that you want to follow speaking of strong ideas and theme <laughs> nice thing <laughs> louis how about you just give us a little brief overview of who you are as a hobbyist, uh, where you're from, how did you get into wargaming and Kings of War? There's not much special to say, really. I'm a Brit. I'm currently living abroad in Prague in the Czech Republic in sunny, warm Eastern Europe, moving back to London very soon. In terms of gaming, I mean, probably just like you guys, really, I got into uh, Warhammer 40k. Must have been third edition box set dropped. Do you guys remember that was the one with the, was it the Dark Elder and the Black Templars? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Space Marines and Elder. Spent a couple of years bouncing around between painting Space Marines and painting, you know, Lord of the Rings figures, because that was all the rage. Dropped out of it when I, when I was a teenager and got back into a uni and the rest is history. Pretty standard, I think. Yeah, I think Jeremy and I, we figured out this week that we both bought the same edition of Warhammer and the same White Dwarf as oh, wow. our first foray. It was the Warhammer Fantasy box set that came with elves and goblins. And it had, I always forget, I think it's fourth edition where it had the yeah. like the cardboard cutout cards for the, the elf on a griffin. And Grom yeah, you had the little cardboard stand-ins. And the yeah, lobber and the and the thrower. <laughs> and then we had like we so both it, bought the same white dwarf with the high elf versus chaos dwarf battle report. So you guys were more kind of fantasy players first? I think I got Warhammer Fantasy first, but I didn't really start no one in my area played it, but I found some people who wanted to play 40k a couple years later. Actual playing war games was more 40k through high school. I didn't start playing fantasy regularly till sixth. Yeah, same here, I think. It's a bigger kind of 
a barrier to entry for fantasy. Yeah, and 40k has always been a little bit more popular, it seems like, at least around here. Yeah, yeah we would dabble in both. I think that Warhammer Fantasy and that 4th edition box set, I mean, that's Warhammer Fantasy, I think, was our group's primary love, but... The 40K was a little less model sometimes, and I think the, the lore of 40K was always so great. We would go back and forth, but sort of any time we got out of it, of the hobby, and we're looking to get back in or whatever, it would always be sort of more around Warhammer Fantasy as the driving force. It was tough. I never had a fully painted army as a kid. I mean, I started playing. The first box of miniatures I ever got was the Squats. Oh, wow. And that was, that was and that, yeah, Squats. <laughs> and I got that box yeah. when I was in second grade so how old are you in second grade so 1987 1988 that i had the squat box and then that space marine tactical squad box that came with Mm -hmm. all those different and i remember i'd always put like i'd always put a little knife on someone's belt because it had the little (laughs) knives that was like my first theme hobby you know building was oh this guy's gonna have a little knife on his belt And you feel awesome for like, oh, yeah. making a conversion, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you yeah. put a knife as like a bayonet on a bolter, and you'd be like, "Oh yeah, this guy's gonna stab that orc in the yeah. face," you know. <laughs> I just remember having the Hero Quest box, and then I got the Citadel paint set afterwards. I was just like ten years old, and I was like, "Metallic paints are the coolest. Everything is painted some mm-hmm. shade of metallic because you can mix paints. <laughs> it looks horrible, but it's hilarious." <laughs> I have all these things. these squats and exo armor, a dry brushed metallic. The whole model is just dry brush metallic and i was like man look at this dynamic shading as like a little kid without trying to spill too much paint on the carpet which i did like a bunch of times so louis what sort of got you into kings of war or you know you kind of been into 40k did you have some buddies playing kings of war or how did sort of kings of war get on your radar kind of a complete accident actually i was really into 40k and the horus heresy rule set if you guys are kind of yeah, are familiar uh-huh. with that definitely um, yeah that's quite a small but quite a quite an intense community and i still wanted to try something different i was really keen to do something sort of fantasy based but maybe a little more kind of darker fantasy a bit more in keeping with the kind of heresy theme and basically i just asked around because that was i think that must have been right after fantasy got, got obliterated whenever that was 2015 2016 and I just asked around a bit and people said Kings of War is a really solid rule set. They said it's really, you know, really good good for tournaments, good for casual games. And I thought, yeah, why the hell not? Give it, uh, give it a shot. I had this idea for a, a force I really wanted to do in a fantasy kind of world, but I didn't know what rule set to put them in. So it was kind of the modeling project came along first and the rule set was second. So the Black Order has been something in your mind for quite some time. Yeah. What you guys were saying earlier about having the idea for something for a couple of years, I yeah. can empathize with that quite a lot. I definitely had the idea in my head for a while, but I just had no idea how to kind of... If you don't have a kind of rule set to use your toy soldier sort of thing, you, you don't really see the point in making them. It wasn't really until like I was aware of Kings of War that I thought, okay, now would be a good time to take the leap. I've said that before. Like I had my Gaven miniatures for like a decade since like 6th edition. It took me... Until finding Kings of War, which is like a solid rule set to feel comfortable enough to like paint them and put them together as an army. Yeah. Like having that rule set as the base of the hobby like really makes it easier to be motivated to work on something that's a long-term project. Absolutely. Plus, if you know people who are doing the same thing as you, it makes it much more, more fun. You've got more people to talk to sort of thing. Yeah, it's definitely like a symbiotic thing, right? Where you have to have the game system there 
that the models will work in. And then you have to then, like you guys are saying, you have to have the inspiration or the theme of what you want to do. Alex and I are pretty competitive players, but I think we balance that also with trying to tell a story with our armies. And that's sure. always been like a balance. What sort of game do I like the play of? What army do I like the, the play style of? But in the end, for me, it always comes back to what are the models and what's the story that I want to tell with those models that always seem to be like the kernel of genesis of, of a project. No, 100% agree with that. You've definitely got to have that kind of passion for a project to really make it take off. In Prague, is there a local gaming scene that you're a part of? Actually, Wargaming is huge. Didn't really know this when I first moved here, but Czechs are mad keen on Wargaming of all kinds. Obviously, the, the big dog around here is 40k, but there were some really hardcore fantasy veterans who jumped over to Kings of War back when fantasy died. And it, it's small. I mean, probably in the whole country, there's about 20, 25 people playing it. But they've been playing since Kings of War first came out, and they're all super competitive. And actually, for a, a pretty small country, there's a lot of tournaments here. I normally tell people that when I first moved here, I didn't win a game for about six months. That can be good, though. <laughs> Losing it was good, actually. Yeah. It te- teaches yeah. you lessons. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, and like you guys have probably found, I mean, if you're in quite a competitive group with the right people, it's still really fun. I mean, you're still playing a game that you love. And as long as you're learning something, then, you know, it's all good fun and, and you're learning how to yeah. be a better player. And, well, and you're... well, we've always talked about having a great, fun game and playing a super yeah. competitive game don't have to be mutually exclusive. Absolutely. You, you can have both in the same game. It's like about managing expectations and then demeanor and of the people involved. If you're a friendly group and competitive, everyone knows that it's a competitive environment. They know what to expect when they get to the table. It's that kind of social contract where you all kind of know what you're signing up to before you rock up with your armies. Most of the guys know each other, so they all take pretty, what's the nicest way to put it? Pretty cutthroat lists. <laughs> and when I turned up, I was definitely the baby of the group with my little brotherhood army. So they all had to dial down quite a lot. You know that you're starting to, to learn a bit more when you start to see people running harder and harder lists against you sort of thing and they don't kind of handicap and kings of war is nice where even the hardest of the hard list there's definitely tiers and there's definitely levels to list building but it's not a game where like 40k or something like that where you feel like you've lost after deployment actually i mean that got me right out of 40k i used to be really active in the tournament scene in the uk and then there was this big move toward huge models like super heavies and titans and stuff that was kind of the point where i started feeling like the hobby was more about what you can afford to put on the table rather than you know the stories like you guys said and like the kind of theme and the the feel of the whole force do you see yourself more as a hobbyist or a, a competitive player or a bit of both uh, I'd probably say hobbyist until I start playing. <laughs> um, the minute I start to roll dice, I definitely turn into more of a competitive player. <laughs> it's like you guys said, I really enjoy the social side of it. I definitely enjoy a really good competitive game. But I think at the same time, it's got to be really fun for both players. At the end of the day, you're playing a game, you're playing to have fun. As long as it's a, a good competitive game, then there's no reason why you, you can't enjoy it too. Sort of. You said there's an active tournament scene in the Czech Republic. Do you think you're going to go back after you've moved to the UK for tournaments? Possibly. It's uh, hard to know right now, isn't it? It's a really active scene. The tournaments are kind of all over the country, but to be honest with you, I'm pretty keen to explore the UK's tournament scene. I've only actually been to two tournaments in the UK, so I kind of want to see what's going on over there first. Once you make your move, what are your plans hobby-wise like going forward? Well, that's going to be around when Clash of Kings 2021 drops, if that does drop this year. So I think kind of see, see what the uh, state of things is first. I mean, obviously my main army is the Black Order, which is mainly a Northern, a Northern Alliance army. I think I just, I, I mean, really, I, I just want to kind of go to more events, meet, meet more players. I played some quite high-level players at Franticon recently, and that was an amazing experience. Really friendly guys, really hard-fought games. I think just spend some time getting to know the scene, to be honest with you. That sounds like a good plan. So speaking of the Black Order, you said that it's been a long-term project, something you came up with as an idea before you even started playing Kings of War. How did that start? How did you start creating that background or the fluff 
around the, the Black Order. In case you guys couldn't tell, I'm a, a massive nerd. And I spent most of my childhood reading a lot about medieval history and stuff. You're and, in um, good company here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, all the kind of fantasy staples like Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, that sort of thing. I had this idea in my head for, we're going to go into serious kind of history nerd territory for a second here. So there was this kind of, I was always super interested in the old knightly orders, like the Knights Templar, the Knights Hospitaller, the Teutonic Knights, all of the big kind of military organizations under the church during the kind of crusade era. I had this idea in my head. I think it came to me one day when I was playing some video games. I play a lot of games set in kind of medieval fantasy, like The Witcher, For Honor, that sort of thing. And I thought basically, you know, what if one of these orders, like the Teutonic Knights on one of their crusades into Eastern Europe, basically what if they stayed there, settled there in Eastern Europe, and they started to find things, kind of monsters, fantasy creatures, that, that sort of thing. And I realized it was this kind of blend of two cultures, kind of Western and Eastern, plus a bit of fantasy that you don't really see in much media. You, you see it a bit in things like The Witcher, which has got pretty heavy Slavic influence, obviously, as the creator's Polish. But you don't really see it in wargaming so much. I mean, when you think of like a knightly order army, you think of something like Britannia, back from fantasy, or you think about the Knights Templar. But you don't really see much that's got a little bit more Eastern kind of inspiration. So I guess I, I wanted to try and find something that had a bit more kind of Slavic overtones, a kind of really old Russia, Ukraine, Central Europe kind of thing, mixed with a little bit of the aesthetic of, of Western Europe, like in the armor that they wear and stuff. Before this, was this always kind of how you approached your armies? <laughs> like, Or is it just you played you know, this army list, you're like, I'm tired of this, I'm making my own thing, or is it just is how you approach armies? No, that, that's actually, that's pretty much right. Uh, before that, I was playing Ultramarines in the Horus Heresy, which is <laughs> just about as cookie-cutter as you can possibly get, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously, I really enjoyed the, the story of the heresy and stuff. And I think, like you guys said, you know, 40K has got a really, really strong backstory. But it, it was that sort of thing, not wanting to really worry about, am I painting these guys the right shade blue? Is it okay to use this piece of war gear on this model? Does it match the codex? That, that sort of thing. I really just wanted to go kind of crazy with something that was totally my own creation and see where it kind of ended up. That's awesome. Is the Black Order part of a, a larger narrative? Like, do you have a, a world that kind of surrounds them? <laughs> I'm going to look even more nerdy now. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. Somewhere on my computer, there's a, a, a Word document with a whole kind of world for these guys. I saw the Mantic kind of lore and stuff, and I think the Mantic's doing a really good job where they're going, especially with third edition. But I wanted to do something a little bit less high fantasy and a bit more kind of, a bit more low fantasy sort of thing. And I came up with an idea for a very kind of grim, dark kind of fantasy world where there's not really much magic, not much technology. Uh, it's not really a very nice place to live. <laughs> and the only factions are kind of fleshed out really are the Black Order, obviously, but also a sort of my second army in Kings of War, actually, which is kind of a Celtic-inspired Emperor of Dust army. It probably okay. sounds a bit weird. Did this come from a little bit of your, a guy from the UK and Eastern Europe kind of vibe? Is <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Um, yeah, so I moved to Eastern Europe about five years ago, nearly six, yikes. And yeah, I mean, basically, I'm a big history nerd in the first place, in case you couldn't tell. And I spent my whole university degree studying uh, Scandinavian mythology. So the first thing I did when I come here was, was start to read about Slavic myth uh, mythology and culture and stuff. And basically, I mean, I don't know what it's like in Canada and the US, but in the UK, I mean, we just know nothing about Czech myths and legends, Russian myths and, uh, and legends sort of thing. We just have no, no. Um, we're not taught about it in schools. There's no kind of exposure to it. And there's some, there's some really cool stories. There's some really cool myths and um, kind of almost really kind of archetypal kind of tropes here, which I thought would be really good, good material for wargaming and just for telling stories. 
in Western Europe and North America, yeah. there's not a lot of exposure to Eastern European Slavic kind of culture. Like I'm, my parents are from Ukraine and Slovenia, and even I like oh, don't have a ton of, yeah, sure. of that history because it's just like it's just not anywhere else. Like it's like get a little bit here and there, but in school yeah, or it's just or in, in media, it's just not there. But I think that's a really great way to take a unique track with an army. It's like find those undiscovered or you know relatively undiscovered in the community mythologies and histories. It's just try to like use that. So much in wargaming and miniature gaming is about storytelling. Even when we play the games, we, we're telling a story. Like if you have the banner who does the one wound to the unit to stop them from charging something else, you create this image in your head and you're telling the story. And in the game itself, there's so much awesome areas of storytelling that it makes sense that when we're trying to come up with these initial ideas to, to do armies, we go to myth or we go to legend or we go to other stories to sort of find those little bits of initial inspiration. Absolutely. You're talking my language. I went to graduate school for ancient Mediterranean history. So I also went to school very long studying stuff that, that a lot of people <laughs> are like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like Alex said, you're in kindred spirit realm with, with, with the both yeah. of us. It's the sort of thing, you know, you, you you aren't going to use ancient Mediterranean mythology or history or Scandinavian mythology in your day job. If I need to do a banner yeah. in hieroglyphics that says Jeremy is awesome, I'm good. <laughs> I, I have my, my Egyptian, my middle Egyptian <laughs> dictionary on my shelf. What That's I'm best. curious is like when I'm and I know Alex and I have talked a bunch about this. When you're trying to like think of telling the story or think of building an army, what's sort of coming first in your mind? Are, are you thinking about the aesthetic that you want or will, do you see a model and then you're like, wow, that model is amazing. Let me think of something to go with that model. Or is it like a little bit of both? That's a really good question. Let me have a really boring answer, which is both, because for the Black Order, it was definitely that I had the idea in my head years before I started to put anything together. Like you guys were saying earlier, you know, you, really strong idea, but no way to kind of realize it until I'd found, found the right model sort of thing. For the other project, which I'm still working on, the Undeads, that was, I mean, I just, I think when you guys mentioned Miris Miniatures uh, earlier on, they're kind of small UK company that do really high quality resin and, and metal stuff. But they basically, I mean, they, they, they've got a Undead line, which is very clearly Celtic kind of themed. And I just saw it one day and I just thought, you know what, it'd be, no one's done a kind of undead dynasty. It's got a really strong Celtic or Irish kind of theme to it. Why not do that? Yeah, like they have they have a very strong aesthetic. And a completely unpronounceable one. Yes, totally. <laughs> <laughs> they heavily influenced like my approach to my army. So like, I found things that I liked. I'm like, I like these miniatures, or these raven themes. Yeah, the raven, you know, yeah. the raven men, all the raven riding heroes. And I'm like... How do I make this something? Absolutely. How does it make? Yeah. How to make this work? And then like start writing a story like in my head about why these things are together and what they're doing, Absolutely. what their motivation is. Yeah, I think what you're just saying about I think that's kind of the, the beauty of the whole kind of the of that kind of creative part of the hobby, the part which doesn't necessarily in, involve brushes and paint. But you know, it, it's really it's really cool to be able to have a strong idea in your head and then kind of spend the next few years kind of hammering it out, figuring which bits do I need, which manufacturers do I want to combine, sort of thing. But it's also really nice to be able to just to see something and think, yeah, that's amazing. How do I make that? into a kind of cohesive idea for a force sort of thing. And I think like a game of Kings of War where you have multi-basing uh, and like figure like agnostic approach or manufacturer agnostic approach, like it gives you that freedom to like do all that and tie that all together and create something that's really your own as opposed to just a different take on someone else's vision. 100%. Yeah, I think that's actually the best thing about Kings of War. I mean, nobody needs to actually adhere to any kind of you know what it's like i mean sometimes there'll be certain games where you, you you have to follow a kind of canon there's a kind of rubric that you've got to follow for what's right and what's not right to paint your figures 
And in, like you say, in Kings of Warming, you can have an army of, not going to Russia, you can have an army of minions fighting an army of something else like, I don't know, Disney princesses, <laughs> if you really want to. It lets you express yourself as a hobbyist and general at yeah. the same time. We've kind of covered that like the main aesthetic inspiration was a kind of a mixture of Eastern, Western European mythologies kind of combining. You had that idea and then you had to go find miniatures to make that vision a reality. How did that process work for you? That was right when I left 40K. And to be honest with you, I was pretty ready to try out something that wasn't kind of Games Workshop. Not that there's anything wrong with their models, but, you know, you want to kind of branch out and try new things. And at first it was really scattershot because I just kind of jump between manufacturers playing around with different plastic kits and stuff but actually there's a lot of stuff out there i mean if you're into kind of low fantasy humans there must be seven or eight really high quality plastic manufacturers out there who all do stuff that's kind of roughly the same scale the, the stuff for frost uh, frost grove the stuff for perry miniatures fireforge i'm sure that you know there's more out there sort of thing when you guys mentioned this earlier on when you're talking about about kit bashing stuff i mean you try and find stuff that's going to kind of it loosely, it, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't literally fit together if they're from two different plastic kits, but there is a kind of similar aesthetic or one of them can kind of, you know, one kit can kind of enhance the other sort of thing. Uh, I tried to find stuff that kind of mixed a little bit of that slightly pagan, lower tech kind of background that I imagine the medieval Slavic kind of cultures having with some of the slightly more Western kind of aesthetic, like knightly helms and kind of, you know, shoulder pads and the kind of weapons that they, that they use, that sort of thing. Fireforge has a lot of, they have the different knightly orders like Teutonics and such, and then they have the the russian ones and the byzantine ones as well so like they have a a lot of variation there and then yeah all the perry stuff and then frostgrave and oathmark now as humans fireforge is like a great company i'm using there for my knights and my basilean army i have fireforge knights and then i just do a female head swap and since fireforge knights are a little smaller it fits the scale of what maybe a female body would just be a little bit smaller you know that's that's the kind of thing when you're looking at models if you if you have something that doesn't quite fit scale wise but maybe it fits theme wise so actually the fireforge knights being a little smaller for me worked with my theme and because since i'm going for like a smaller body size it worked but there are like a lot of great human sort of medieval-esque type ranges it's just trying to kind of find what kind of go under your general theme that you're trying to go for yeah and then mixing and matching them kind of helps in that realm like of low fantasy historical medieval miniatures like there's a lot of stuff and it's like it's a pretty common aesthetic that you see in tv and media and books and all this stuff mixing and matching them and adding a little bit of that low fantasy flair and dark vision helps make them a little like helps differentiate them and make them more your own right for sure yeah and if you push it far enough and the kind of best moment is when people come up and they see things and they don't realize straight away that it's kit bash and they think you bought it from a manufacturer and that's actually quite a cool moment so with your conversions was it like i need this so i'm going to find out where i can get that part or that kind of body yeah i think to begin with it was a bit kind of hit and miss a bit kind of trial and error sort of thing i started out with the fireforge stuff i mean like you said they do fantastic you know ranges they're really really wide wide in terms of the historical kind of areas they cover but also in terms of the uh, locations after a while i I sort of realized that I was basically just doing a kind of Bretonian army because everything I was buying was, was really Western European. So I thought basically, how do I make this A, a bit more fantasy and B, a bit more savage? Because I thought if you've got this order this order of knights that's gone into kind of fantasy Eastern Europe to fight monsters, they're not going to look kind of pristine and you know clean shaven and stuff. They're going to look a bit dirty, a bit more down to earth. And I started looking more at the opposite end of the market with the more kind of not high fantasy, but sort of like the frost, the uh, frostgrave stuff, like the barbarians. Is it the soldiers' kit? I think it is. Which are more, they they, they look a bit more like the old wartime kind of range. They're much 
uh, lower key, more kind of battered and stuff. And I found the ones you start to mix together, Fireforge and the Frostgrave stuff, actually you start to come up with something that's quite unique, but also quite kind of recognizable and kind of, it, it, it still looks kind of like a theme that, that I had in mind, but I was now doing something a bit different with it. Add that edge to it that isn't, so it doesn't make it look as pretty as like a normal Bretonian army would. Exactly, yeah. So I saw you also have a Vanguard warband, like Forces of Nature. How Does that fit in with your your overall world, or is that just kind of like a little modeling project that you did on the side? Good memory. <laughs> uh, it does fit in. I think... Yeah, I think with that one, I got um, I got I got given a metal miniature of kind of a beastman type character, and I thought, right, how can I use this? It doesn't fit into anything I've got already, and I I just kind of thought, how do I, let's just make something really weird, really weird looking. I was actually really inspired by one of the guys on uh, Fanatics, the um, Kings of War Fanatics page on Facebook. I think it's Chris Walsh. Uh, I think got, he inspires a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he's really good at doing stuff, which is really unique and really consistent thematically but also really disturbing <laughs> and my stuff is obviously no one no one near that level but i just i wanted to try and push the boat out and do something that wasn't kind of fantasy human just try and do something a bit weird really kind of foresty slightly evil nature themed kind of stuff that's a good example of like getting one miniature and you're like that's not what i normally would paint or doesn't fit in my main army like how can i run with that and like take it in a direction to like do something different and exciting, yeah. you know so sort of exciting right i think also too what I, one thing that I really love about your army is when you deal with a lot of different models or you're, you have little bits and pieces coming from different things when you're creating a custom project, sometimes it can feel like a lot or it becomes too much. But I just love the color scheme that you picked, a lot of like the basing and just I felt like you picked some really good, nice palette to sort of tie everything together. I mean, do you think about that when you've made an army like fully converted, when you're thinking about color schemes, are you trying to maybe not necessarily do a less is more, but are you trying to kind of think of a color scheme that brings everything together since you have so many little bits and pieces from different models? I think so. I thought, <laughs> you're, being, you're being quite nice about that. A lot of people say that it's far too desaturated. I mean, I had kind of an idea for, for a color scheme in my head pretty early on because I quite like kind of bone, kind of off-white and black. I really just wanted to kind of do something that was really minimal because I, I, I didn't want them to be bright, kind of Bretonian-style knights. I wanted something really desaturated and dark. And like it, like it, it kind of had the life, the life kind of sucked out of it, sort of thing. I thought that that fit the kind of world that I was trying to go for a bit. Something like that really helps when you have, like Jeremy's saying, you have all these different parts from different miniatures kind of like together, and but it makes it look more cohesive. If you bring the visual stimulus down with respect to color, the interest can be in the different parts of the miniature. Yeah, I, I'd love to take credit for that, but I think it was just a, a happy accident. But see, you, you say that, but that's really a part of making armies, right? Sometimes you just pick the right color are you you try something and it works and sometimes you try something and it doesn't work so a lot of creating armies is sometimes a little bit of throwing you know you put the stock market and you throw darts to you know yeah. the yeah, it's some, when yeah. it comes to miniature sometimes it's like you pick something and you hope that by the time you spend 50 hours painting it that it looks correct <laughs> and right. sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't your intuition is your intuition like it's there for a reason like if you like you're looking at these miniatures and you paint them a certain way that makes them look good to you it's like there's a reason in there somewhere so i'm curious on your nights and we'll post all pictures uh, of your army well for the audience you know take a look on the counter facebook page we'll have everything posted but i really like your uh, on your nights you've done like weathering and all the shields you know i know weathering in like 40k is huge right that's oh, like yeah. a really <laughs> big and we don't yeah. see as much weathering in fantasy 
miniatures. So when you were choosing to do weathering on the shields, was that something that you kind of had thought about? Well, well, this is kind of unique for fantasy models or speak a little bit to that because I think it's a really nice touch. Cheers, man. I mean, I think it was, yeah, I mean, I think you can definitely see that I, I came from, firstly, that I came from 40K and secondly, that I belonged to, to the school of if you make a mistake, it doesn't matter, just cover it with with uh, weathering. I mean, the weathering that I use in them definitely hides a lot, a lot of sins. But really, I think it was just kind of, I painted them up and I painted them up the, the first time around kind of cleanly, you know, like everything was kind of, you know, like it, like it had been washed and like it, it was new from the tailor or armor or whatever. And it, it just, it didn't look right. I mean, these were guys going through muddy, snowy fields. And in my head, you know, they're in a world where they can't resupply, they can't really repair stuff very well. It just, I just figured the equipment has to look like it's kind of constantly breaking down or or degrading somehow. And their number one enemy is the undead. I thought that'd be quite a nice way to tie them together because, you know, the undead are, are, are all about decay and things breaking down and degrading. And, you know, the people, it'd, it'd be a nice way to kind of, show the effect of that in that the guys fighting them also also have to kind of battle the same thing in the war gear that they use everything they use is kind of very old and decrepit sort of thing i think that's an interesting point you bring up not only what is your theme but what is the main army that your army fights against and like how can how can you put that theme into your list you don't really think about that very often it's like i have this army this is the army theme like who are they fighting why are they fighting like that's adds that extra layer of character right but like you guys were saying, I mean, you guys both seem, seem to have quite a clear idea. I mean, you're saying that your 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 Basileian force fights mainly the uh, abyss, right? You know, and for that, it was like a lot of what you say kind of really resonates when it went for, with me when, when I was thinking of the Basileian sort of when I'm when I'm thinking up a new army project, I'll have like little. It's like the sky is black, and then all of a sudden the first star will come out, and that to sure. me will be like, oh wow, look at that shield with a lion on it. That's really cool. And then another, yeah. the second star as it gets darker will come out, and that's like, oh wow, these ruined basing from this other company with with like stained glass things are pretty cool. So so in my head, I got some ruined bases, I got a, a lion shield, and then it'd be like, yeah. oh, I I really love how Stormwind looks in World of Warcraft with lions and blues, and well, that kind of goes with that, you know. So it's like as the night sky of my army, I'm getting poetic now. As the night sky of my army. <laughs> gets filled with all these little ideas it's like it's illuminating the project to me like one little bit at a time but yeah that's quite a, a nice way to do it because you kind of discover the theme as you kind of go along sort of thing and it, mm-hmm. it can evolve and grow quite naturally uh, as you progress with that growth and progression does gameplay play a role in how your army progresses like do you do you think about like what work what works better i'll paint that up and i'll come up with a story for it or like do games play into like how your story has developed and then does that feed into new units Ooh, good question i'd say that my first games in in kings of war definitely did form a bit more of the idea of kind of the story of the force a bit one of my first opponents was matt gorham who's on the facebook group he, and he, he was playing with a uh, abyssal army back then and obviously the kind of the kind of demon aspect of that made me think okay maybe i should push these guys a bit more toward being knightly and a bit a bit more away from being kind of barbaric sort of thing and then when i moved to the czech republic all i had for six months was getting curb stomped by undead armies so that definitely solidified the idea in my head that one of their kind of their main uh, enemy to be the undead and that maybe this wasn't an army that won all of, of its battles maybe this was an army that actually was kind of a dying kind of kind of a dying force sort of thing Kind of like a fighting retreat or try to you know trying to escape something. Yeah, raging against the dying of the light, so it's sort of kind of. And you said you played it mostly as Northern Alliance. Have have you tried it out on different lists? Do you use it with different lists, or mainly just Northern Alliance? 
Oh yeah. So when I first started out, I mean, it was still second second edition, and the Northern Alliance weren't even a thing yet. I spent, I think it was probably a year and a half playing exclusively Brotherhood, which, as my clubmates will tell you, I get quite salty about. I moved to Varanga pretty soon after the Northern Alliance were first teased, because I because I kind of figured, you know, Varanga and Northern Alliance are both kind of you know snowy barbarians, so they're going to be quite similar. But now that thirds dropped, I really like the Northern the Northern Alliance list. It lets you do a couple of things quite interestingly. It, it's not an, an, an overpowered list by any means, but I really like that you can do a, quite a heavy cavalry list if you want to kind of push it more toward Frostfangs. You can do a kind of forest monster list if you push it more toward you know elementals and kind of naiads and that sort of thing. Or you can just do a really kind of old school boots on the ground he, uh, heavy infantry list if you double up on the clansmen and the Huskars. So has third edition and like the official like launch of the Northern Alliance army, like has that spurred you on to like create new units and like further the story of the Black Order? Hundred percent. I mean, they used to be just an army of guys on horses, and now they're you know now there's much more of an infantry component. And I had the chance to do to make some proxy uh, ice elementals. I, I call them kind of forest elementals, but whatever. And I got the chance to do some new very heavy cavalry models to proxy as Frostfang. So yeah, I mean, there's been loads to play around with. I'm actually, I, I really like the Northern, the Northern Alliance list for that reason, because it's got so many different aspects to it. You don't necessarily have to run the same list twice, and you can have a, a lot of players playing the same faction, all with completely different armies. So do you have any plans for like new units that you want to add, or like crafting the story to justify adding them in? A um, little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I think it's one of those things where I'm, I mean, most of my lists right now tend to to include two Frostfang hordes and two Ice, ice Elemental hordes. So I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't trying to choose the best units. We'll see. I mean, right now I'm I'm really hoping that there's more reason to run heavy infantry and kind of more purely infantry lists in the future. But I've really enjoyed playing around with the Frostfang hordes for now. So do you have any uh, projects that are kind of looming that you, like you've started, but you kind of like stalled out on? Do you just, when you come up with an idea, you're like, that's a good idea, and then execute it? Or do you have like a various projects on the go at the same time? Definitely, yeah, I'm definitely more, more of a hobby magpie. I think we all have that thing where we start a project and we think it's really cool, and then we kind of burn out a bit and we move away to something else a bit. I mean, I've been trying to work on a Kingdoms of Men army, but to be honest, after a while, you do start to get a bit bored painting endless humans and you want to try something new you haven't built up enough of a, a backstory to propel you to paint hordes and hordes of pole arms actually they were going to be a little kind of kind of homage to, to the old empire in warhammer fantasy but like you say i mean endless pole arms does get a bit wearing I think it's interesting, though, you bring up a good pot. You know, often people will say when they're picking a new army project, they're like, oh, I love this army. Like Matt was talking about the difference between Order of the Green Lady and his dwarves in that, oh, this army plays very differently. So that could be a fun for when you're starting a new uh, army project to play an army that plays differently. But also the other side of that, too, is also picking an army that's visually completely different. Like if you do an army of knights, or a bunch of knights. I know after I finished my regiments of knights, I was like, I'm not painting a guy on horseback again forever. <laughs> you know, because I was just yeah. done. So, so it's yeah. like picking an army that's play style different, but also that's thematically different as far as pushing yourself artistically and having to pick, pick an army that has a different type of armor or a different type of cloth or something aesthetically, visually you want to explore can be just as impassioning as picking an army that has a completely different play style. At the end of the day, you're painting this stuff, but you want to get the chance to actually use it on the tabletop. And in as much as I, I love the idea of doing a Kingdoms of Men army, it's not going to be that different to running an infantry-heavy Northern Alliance army. So I think that that was one of the reasons why I chose the Undead, because like 
back when I was running my guys as uh, Varanga, they were very elite, you know, really low um, low unit count, really fast. Everything's really tough, does huge amounts of damage. But then you switch over to the undead and suddenly it's a completely different playstyle. You know, you've got things like surge, you've got infantry spam sort of thing. I think now the Northern, the Northern uh, Alliance have come out and they've got access to some surge. Maybe they're not quite as different to the undead as they used to be, but they're still different enough sort of thing. There's still quite a big difference between my Northern Alliance list and my undead list. And I think that's definitely one thing that helps motivate me to keep painting them, like you were saying, you know, knowing that I'm not just painting, I'm not just basically kind of reskinning the same unit, I'm painting something which will genuinely play completely differently. So what part of the Black Order so far would you say you're like most proud of? Like what's like the, you're like, this is like epitomizes what I was trying to achieve with the Black Order. I'm pretty just pleased that it's the first time that I've, I mean, I, I'd say that they're a finished force, but as you guys know, nothing is ever finished. <laughs> I'd say it's the first time that I finished a force that was completely my own creation from, from scratch, basically. Like I, it didn't come from, from an existing universe sort of thing. It was just kind of my own kind of idea. I think it's, it's they're kind of finished, that they're my creation, but also that I started off with quite a nebulous kind of idea for them, and they actually turned into quite a strong... What I'm trying to say is they turned out to have quite a strong identity that I maybe, I maybe didn't quite foresee in the beginning. It's like it, it just came into focus as you worked on it. Absolutely. Jeremy mentioned this earlier, but like the, your strong basing and like, so was there any specific material or technique you really like to use or like you learned how to use effectively during the process? Oh, for basing or for painting in general? We'll just start with basing for now. Oh, basing. Yeah, I'm really lazy. I mean, basically it's just sand, PVA glue, a couple of tufts, uh, tufts and some snow. And actually, I think that's kind of worked well for me because the fact that I'm extremely lazy when it comes to basing means that I just kind of slop things on and it tends to look reasonably realistic because, you know, in nature, stuff does tend to be quite chaotic. And if they're slogging through like snow and mud and stuff, it's not going to look pretty, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And if you make mistakes and easy fix, just cover it with snow. Not you know, selling myself very well here, but... You know, what he's saying brings up a really interesting point and you see it a lot with like different ways that people do rocks or stone or in nature stone and rocks have lots of different colors it's not just all gray so mm-hmm. i think nature when you look at nature nature is a very chaotic with different shapes and colors and variety and visual interests and stuff like that so i think one of the things louis is like pointing out which is interesting is that you can get something that looks really good that technically maybe is not incredibly difficult, but you're trying to think about how does this thing look in real life? Because I think our eyes are trained to, if we look at something on a miniature and it reminds us of what that thing looks like in real life, it, it makes sense to our brains. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to say that if you get really, really up close to my t- to the stuff that I paint, it's definitely not technically perfect. I mean, there are loads of you know much better painters than me out there. But the thing that I try and chase is it looks kind of realistic enough to convince you that it's better painted than it really is. <laughs> well, and I think you know? with Kings of War and multi-basing, it's, it's about the presentation of the whole, right? And so how sure. does it look together? Like, how does the whole unit look? How does the whole army look? And it's like that strength of, you know, vision or like execution of that vision really comes home when you have it all on the table together. How did your painting like progress through the throughout the army? Like, did you have yeah. certain techniques you wanted to practice throughout, or did it, like you push yourself increasingly throughout the whole project? Well, I did warn you that I'm lazy. The joke in my circle of friends is, is that the only technique that I actually know how to use is dry brushing. There's a certain degree of truth behind that. I think when I first started painting the force, I wasn't really doing very much special. It was just kind of base colors, wash, and then dry brush a few different highlights, and then co- and then cover that with sponge weathering and basically done. 
And that does give it a degree of realism, if not technical skill. But a lot of the guys in the London club that I'm moving back to are amazing, you know, technical painters. And they're much, you know, they can do things like glazing and wet blending and stuff. So I'm trying to kind of push myself a bit more in that direction. Trying to do stuff like learn, learn how to paint freehand, which I think is every hobbyist nightmare, pretty much. I'm quite a slow learner, so I do learn how to do stuff, but it's very, it's a very slow, painstaking process. It's a good thing that armies are long projects. So what's your favorite unit or model that from your army that you've you've done probably one of the really bog standard knights uh, one of the guys i use as uh, huskars in kings of war i had a lot of fun with those guys because they're all kind of frustrated uh, barbarian base models and then i just added on some bits from the perry miniatures knights and the fireforge templars to try and create something a bit more kind of kind of knightly but also slightly what kind of wild looking I think those guys probably captured best what I was trying to do, which is something that isn't too Western, isn't too Eastern, but it's somewhere in between the two. One model that I really liked in your army is the, it's like a a witch that's got like a raven on her shoulder. Oh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that model? That model is really cool. Actually, she was inspired by a movie. Now I'm trying to remember which one it was. My idea for her basically was to try and, you know how in in fantasy witches tend to be kind of very attractive younger women, scantily clad sort of thing. I wanted to go down a little bit more the Game of Thrones route when you see, uh, what's her name? The uh, Red Lady. Oh, Melisandre. Uh, When when you see her take take off jewelry that, that kind of conceals her, she turns into this really old, horrifying kind of hag looking kind of creature. And I thought basically, why not take that but try and dial that up to 11? So I figured I'd take this, I think it's a, I think it's even a zombie model, actually, a base. What I wanted it to be was to look like a very old woman who's much older than she even looks like. And if you look closely, she's torn out, she's uh, got two big uh, bloody sockets where her eyes are. I figured in her backstory, she'd torn out her own eyes in order to gain wisdom or kind of sell her soul to, to, to the devil sort of thing. And she used the raven on her shoulder to see in the real world, and she's got other ways of seeing into the spirit world pretty nerdy but i was trying to do oh, something a little cool. more kind of yeah. well the, that's the kind of the thought that drives that like narrative of the army like do all of your characters have that kind of story behind them not to that degree i mean i i figured that the, the knights in the army would be guys who are kind of more pragmatic than zealot i mean none of them would be motivated by things like religion or faith or honor they'd be very very pragmatic guys who, who'd be all about how do we win the next battle how do we survive how do we win the war and if they have to ally with weird witches from the deep forest who tear out their eyes and use kind of dubious magic, then they do that. But she's definitely one of the characters who's got who I put more thought into how to tell a story through her model. That one jumped out to me as being like a really cool. And then kind of in some of the pictures that you guys will see once we when we release the episode, we'll throw all this. Those sort of like fen beast naturey sort of those are your ice elementals. I, I was going to actually do something properly ice elemental and try and use the mantic models, mm-hmm. but uh, then a friend gave me one, and I realized that they look great, they're fantastic minis, but they just didn't really match the kind of look of the whole force. So Mirrors had this two-for-one sale on the forest beast, and I thought, perfect. You know, ice doesn't really fit these guys, but something more kind of foresty and slightly more horror film. That dull green just keeps with your desaturated, like you talked about, which desaturated sure. doesn't have to be a bad thing. I think desaturated armies get a sort of a stigma in that sometimes when you're competing at tournaments, oftentimes yeah. just desaturated armies don't stand out as much. So I know I found like my undead army is very dark and sometimes yeah. it hasn't scored as well in painting. I just think because dark desaturated armies just depending on who you're doing your paint judging just sometimes don't score super great i think it's nice though for me who's who has painted stuff in that style i personally like it i think it it speaks to the sort of like what you said the low fantasy grittiness of the army 
with an army like with the Black Order, you have so much texture involved with all of your models that that desaturated color palette gets replaced with like texture and contrast where it's like there's still visual interest there it's not just from colors it's like you're just you're seeing all these different textures interplay between each other and i think that's a good way to that vocabulary you use you hear a lot of really good painters talk about visual interest and i think that's a good way to start try to start thinking about your models as you're transitioning from maybe a beginner painter to an intermediate painter or from an intermediate painter to a great painter start thinking about not only what what are the colors that i want to use but how am i creating visual interest in this thing that i'm painting am i adding texture like Alex said, am I adding character or wh- how am I trying to make this visually looking interesting? I mean, I think in my case, it was mostly a happy accident, but I'm very flattered. So when you go to tournaments, do you have a, a display board that you use to like tie things together? Oh dear, I've been teased a lot about this. The, the, the display board thing for me was kind of a dream back when I was a kid, actually, because I saw these guys, actually guys in the US and in Canada at the big uh, 40k GTs, where they'd always rock up with massive display boards that they must have, they must have hired a van to get that thing to the tournament hall and it, it looks so cool and i thought to myself one day i'm going to do a full, a full display board and you know and i got a chance to do that actually quite recently when i was in the uk in march there was the uh, mantic Frenticon event which was like this big three-day bonanza of kings of war vanguard and kings of war doubles i've got my own homemade vanguard board and i took one of the 18 inch square tiles with me it's got like a little river and, and rocks and stuff and printed out a a3 background behind it which is probably cheating but i, I basically used that as the display board and people seem to like it i think there's some there's some photos of that kind of kicking around i think it's a really cool idea to build something specially as a display board we joke about it here in the us we have a display board cold war happening here each major event someone tries to one up like scott holcomb who he has a kingdoms of men army that's themed around pirates and his display board had a giant skull island with a smoke machine. That's definitely something we found here is that there's a lot of people who are really putting a lot of energy into their display boards as a way to kind of the the piece de resistance of their army is they have their display board. It's like a good rug. It just ties the army together. It ties ties the room together. You mentioned a Vanguard board. You've also created terrain that's themed around your army as well for for gaming. I've been lucky enough in Prague to live quite near to the other guys who are in the gaming group so we tend to meet up at my place or at the local get, uh, gaming store for games i was in, in vanguard right right at the very start and i thought you know what it's quite a small playing area it's only three foot by three foot so why not use this as a chance to kind of start to get in, to get into terrain i think we all know this by eventually to kind of do our own kind of home gaming areas but it's a lot of work man it's very different to painting just the, the miniatures themselves actually building the houses and stuff and building the entire board is a lot more work than you think it's going to be do you think you're going to expand that into enough terrain for like all four by six table Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I'm a completely lost cause. I've got plans for an eight foot by six foot board at some point. Your next army is Empire of Dust. How far along in that project are you? I think I painted up a, a horde of skeletons and then kind of thought, hell with it, I can't paint uh, any more bone. So I left it for a bit. With like most horde armies, it's something that you chip away at. It's not something that you sit down and paint in one go or you go crazy. Although saying that, I've, I've just thought of uh, Nick Williams' nine scarecrow horde army that he painted in, in a few weeks back in the UK. So are you filling in the background for that as you go? Sort of. I think I've got an, an idea where I want the background to go. It's more that I don't quite know all the all the models I'm going to use yet. And it's quite a weird theme. I mean, there's quite a lot of stuff on the market for kind of Egyptian-style Empire of Dust, obviously playing off the old Tomb Kings. But for the kind of Celtic side of things, there's not actually a... I mean, uh, one of you guys mentioned Shibor uh, earlier on. They do quite a lot of, of, of Celtic sort of, sort of terrain and decoration and stuff. But it's really finding the right models to kind of match the idea that I've got. So that process yeah, starts sure. starting all over again, right? 
I love Shibor. I think their models are great. Like I always have it in me to do a, a dwarf Shibor army because a lot of people have elements of their dwarves, but I haven't yet to see like a complete army done with the, their models. But for anyone who's looking for like basing materials, shields, little doodads yeah. to add on flavor or story to your army, Shibor is like a great place to start for that sort of, if you're just starting to, you know, put your toes into the world of converting and making your own thematic armies for little bits and bobs, definitely check out Shibor. It's like a great first user-friendly place to find bits for converting. We've talked about all the various sources, the miniatures that you've used. What were your favorite sources that you kept going back to? If you're looking for stuff that's kind of kind of early medieval, kind of crusade era, you can't go wrong with Fireforge. I mean, they just they, they cover a huge range of other locations from the Byzantines to the Russians to to the Crusaders themselves. And they're, I think they're quite interesting because they've just started a new fantasy range. I think it's called Forgotten World. Pretty obviously based sort of the kind of Game of Thrones TV show. But that's just started, and that's, t- that's turning out a lot of stuff that's just small enough to be in scale with the historical stuff and with the kind of Perry line, but it's also just big enough that it's not too far off the old fantasy figures. So it's a really nice kind of halfway house. And some undead stuff in there too. I think they've got the, the first... I think most manufacturers do kind of undead, like skeletons and zombies, but I think these guys got the first kind of undead soldiers. Like, they look like they've actually just died and been, been brought back to life sort of thing. Yeah, a little bit more heavily armored and not quite falling apart yet. It, it's kind of, in some ways, like, I like uh, your themed for your undead, Alex, in that uh, growing up, when I had Bretonia, I had started converting a Bretonian undead army. So that was always one of the cool things with, like, when, you, when we're talking about theme and stuff, that you can really pick... I want to do an undead army, but it, they're undead elves, right? So I'm going to start yeah. with elf models and make them look all That's dead. Cool. Someone was talking the other day about doing an abyssal dwarf army, but have it underwater. So they would have diving suits and Captain Nemo, like <laughs> submarine thing for, you know, like you could do aquatic abyssal dwarves, right? So yeah. there's lots of really cool stuff that you, you can take an army and then take it in like a completely left field or right field way, but you're using your theme and your storytelling to make something truly unique. With Undead and Empire of Dust, they're like a perfect pair for whatever other army you're doing, because you could kind of do exactly an, an Undead version, or like at least like maybe they're separate nations or powers. As the conflict continues, some of the you know the living units end up on the other side. There was that old army in uh, White Dwarf, I think, was just some some guy lost his Empire army. It got devastated at a, at a GT, and then he came back the next year with the whole thing painted the same way, but Undead. I think it was. That's brilliant. Super cool. I have the Perry Knights, but they are reclaiming, you know, the barrows of their ancestors from other. Oh, yeah. from The skeletons will be from a few hundred years previous. Late Dark Ages, early medieval skeletons combined with medieval knights. That's pretty cool. You get to see the kind of passage of time sort of thing. So do you have any tools that you use a lot in your process? Or is there anything that stands out as your favorite? I'm super boring. I only got into things like work palettes last year. I've got some really crappy arm painted brushes that I've had for about six years. Some sculpting tools from probably before I was born. And a work palette that I got at Franticon last year. So it's nothing special. It's really, really basic stuff. It's a really good example of just, it's about having the basics. right inspiration, covering the basics, and just doing the basics really well. And yeah. you can create something with that visual interest and impact. You don't have to go yeah. spend a million dollars. Do what you do well with a clear vision. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, I'm not going to bash people that use airbrushes or who do use some of the really kind of cutting edge stuff. You know, for sure, that stuff produces some amazing, some really cool results. If you can just work on the absolute basics, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to, to turn out something good looking with the bare minimum. 
I've talked a lot about with Nick Williams about this idea, how far clean technique with a solid theme and good basing, how far that can get an army. Just having a a cohesive theme that you can get an army that maybe is half as technically painted well as someone else, but people will like and your army will look better just because the theme and the color choice is so strong. That's yeah. like the law of diminishing returns. Like, can you get to 80% with like basics? Yes. And can you get to 90 with super clean basics and a really strong theme and pushing things a little further? Yes. And then to get that last 10% or 5%, maybe you need to do some crazy airbrushing or wet blending. It's where you want to put your effort, right? Yeah. And time and everything else kind of gets in the way. A really good, strong result can be you know, created without going yeah. overboard perfect example of that is we recently were doing our spring painting challenge for countercharge and this episode will probably come out after all the final votes and everything is tallied but greg person's goblin army that he painted in a month using contrast paints plus some extra techniques and really solid basing to me that army is a perfect representation on what you can create in a short period of time if you just focus on the fundamentals of Mm -hmm. you know color choice clean painting and solid basing you can really get a tabletop level army that looks really slick and then you add a really sick backstory and it's like wow i really care about this army i want to know more i want to see it on the tabletop i think it's that thing between being an army painter or a kind of model painter or somewhere in between we talk about are you a gamer or a hobbyist hobbyist is the perfect term for it because The hobby is huge. It's about gaping. It's about creating basing. It's about painting. It's the social aspect. It's the events. It's everything. Like saying a hobbyist, yes, absolutely. He brings up a really interesting topic, which is, and we talk about that a lot when we talk to really high-end painters or stuff like that. It's the difference between being like, I'm an individual model painter or I like to paint armies because it's very difficult to excel in both those fields because they require different skills. If you're going to compete for Crystal Brush, or do you want to get a player's choice? Like that's a, those are two Absolutely. different skill sets. I think I'm pretty solidly an army painter myself. You've created a great one. It's immersive and it really creates a great feel and it really evokes what you are trying to achieve. I think it's interesting that thing you say about do you want to paint something for Crystal Brush or do you want to go for player's choice? Is, um, I've been lucky to get a couple of players' choice awards, which is really nice. It's always that thing of you know, the difference between the two is a, is a little bit nebulous, and you, especially when you place it above an army, which is absolutely objectively better painted than yours is. You kind of think, well, what's that about? Why did that happen? But I think it is interesting how you, how you can see quite a big difference between, like you say, the, the amount of effort it takes to turn out something technically perfect and really, really visually stunning is huge. And it's really hard to repeat that across an entire army. And I think also, too, even when you're an army painter, I think you can have those sort of different sub-genres. Like I know for a perfect example, we talked about Scott's army. Scott will be first to say that technical painting, he, I mean, he's a great painter, but he's not going for like technical paint awards. He wants to win player's choice, period. That's sure. what he that's yeah. what he sets out for from his hobby is to create the most dynamic uh, imagination inspiring units and is not going to worry so much about really super fine 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 technical paint whereas yeah. you see like other people's like Ryan Smith he'll say that uh, he's a, another great painter we have here in the south and he'll say he's an army painter but he army paints with non metal metallic wet blend you know all like the like, like higher end you know <laughs> mad stuff yeah. so yeah. I think it's interesting that. Even in those, am I a figure painter or an army painter, you have sort of different spheres that you operate under. But I'm like you, is that I tend to think approach a project from, I want this project to look cool when it's on a tabletop fighting someone else's army. Of course, and I want to be growing as a painter and each unit be better than the last one I did and all those other things. But I think my primary goal is still always to create an army that as an army looks really cool. 
and you want it to be finished. Well, yeah. I mean, that's like an epic an epic battle we wage forever, right? It's, yeah, yeah. Finishing. Being able to have it done in time for the tournament is oh, yeah. like one of the bigger the bigger problems, right, that you have to solve. Do you have any, this is going to sound weird, but like any advice for people who are trying to create their own vision for their army? After this process, the six-year process of creating the Black Order, what could you tell yourself at the beginning to make it easier? To an extent, it's a bit difficult because every because because all the, all all the kind of mistakes you make and all the models you paint, where you kind of look at them and you think, God, I I wish I could have done that a bit better. You know what I mean? All all of those things you do, they actually do feed into you becoming a much stronger hobbyist and a, and a much better painter in the end. Uh, which sounds kind of trite, but it's still true. I think the biggest thing really is just to kind of try and be consistent with with, with the stuff you paint. I mean, try and make sure that you're chasing the same idea. Don't don't give up on it if it doesn't work on on the first figure. It's definitely the, the first few figures that I painted for the Black Order came out looking very bland and kind of not, not you know not very interesting. But just don't be afraid to keep on to keep on trying new things and be persistent. Your process of building the army is like a campaign that the army has to go through to get to where it's going. That's a really good really good comparison. <laughs> Just to wrap up here, do you have any uh, shout outs that you want to make to anyone in particular out there? Any thanks or gaming group? I certainly wouldn't have managed to stick with Kings of War if, if it wasn't for the guys here in Prague from the uh, Brotherhood Gaming Club. So obviously they taught me everything I know, <laughs> mostly by stomping me into the ground repeatedly. Also the guys in, in, in central London. I mean, there's quite a, a fast growing scene in, in central London, uh, which I'm, I'm really hoping will have evolved and developed quite a lot by the time that I managed to move back to the UK. Thank you so much for giving us your time today to talk about your project and future projects. If you have any closing thoughts, feel free to share them and let us and the listeners know how they can follow you and the adventures of the Black Order online. Well, thank you guys very much for having me on. First time that I've been on a podcast, so thanks for you know, for the experience. Really, really good fun talking about it. I think um, you guys will see stuff on the on the Countercharge page. I'm on Instagram, deblahev77, which I'll put somewhere in the show notes. And uh, yeah, thank you guys very much for the opportunity. Cheers. Thanks for coming on. It's always cool to hear someone's process. You know, I mean, artists all have like a process. So it's interesting to hear how an idea can develop. And I think the main thing is in the end, we want we want to play in an environment where more people have fully painted armies. So I think yeah. when you t- take a look at an army like Louis, it can be like, oh my gosh, I can never do something like that. But I think in hearing what you're saying and kind of following these basic techniques, I think that getting cool painted armies on the table is a lot more attainable than people give themselves credit for. And in the end, just paint models, try ideas. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Learn learn from each model you paint. But I think that realizing that you can't, you know, visualize and then realize that it is achievable to get a fully painted army done if you've never had one, it, you can do it. And that's part of like what we're here at Countercharges to help support all you guys in getting your armies done and realizing that, you know, following these simple techniques, it is something that is achievable. And I think if you have an idea that you think is cool and is for an army, try to make it happen. Like other people will probably appreciate it. If you think it's cool, we're all of like minds in this community. Other people will appreciate it and they'll appreciate you putting more effort into your army as well. I mean, at, at the end of the day, if you're putting stuff out there, it's going to inspire somebody else. So it's a virtuous circle. Totally. I'm, I'm going to be me- Facebook messaging you later for you to tell me how to weather my shields. Happy to share. That's going to do us tonight, and until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. 
Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 